Well, thank you so much for the, for the opportunity to be here this morning. My name's Tommy Artman. I'm a retired Methodist pastor. I'm friends with many, many of you, and I see lots of faces that I have known and loved for so long. Uh, I've also uh, just want to remind you of something. This church has been greatly blessed in the pastors it has had in the past and it has now. Um, been friends back to Kelly Pope and Jimmy Harrison and, of course, uh, Dear Henderson. And it's great to see Sandra here this morning. Jim Genesee is one of my best friends, as uh, is Barry. Yeah, I just want to tell you something. Uh, you've been blessed, and you really don't know it because you've gotten used to what you've had. But to have a pastor like Barry is... Um, it's a great, great blessing. And I hope you not only appreciate him, but I hope you pray for him and you encourage him. Uh, this is a hard job. I mean, it's a calling. It's not a job. It's a vocation. So, but you're blessed. And also take care of his wife, Sarah. Uh, that's the hardest job in the world, being a pastor's wife. Uh, believe me. Uh, well, it's Thanksgiving Sunday. And um, I love Thanksgiving. Favorite holiday of the year, to tell you the truth. Uh, 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 no pressure. You just get to be together and love each other. You know, you don't have to worry about presents and all that kind of stuff. Well, I guess whoever's cooking has to worry. But, um, the, um, but it's a beautiful Thanksgiving uh, time of year. But it, today is also uh, something in the church calendar called Christ the King Sunday. Uh, we don't really emphasize that, at least we haven't in a long, for long in the Methodist Church. It actually started about uh, 1925, I believe it was Pope Pius XI started Christ the King Sunday. It's interesting the history of it because uh, 1925, it was in the aftermath of World War I. If you remember your history, probably one of the bloodiest, most brutal wars of all time. And, and, and because of that, uh, all around the world, people were... were jettisoning their faith, you know, how in the world could, could there be a God and all these horrific, horrific things happen and so many young men uh, not come home and so many families destroyed. And because of that, it was a time of uh, great skepticism and, and secularization. And so Pope Pius started Christ the King Sunday um, to remind us that peace is only found in King Jesus is he is the, the king of our life. Uh, but also to remind us of this, that it's our call, our call to show the world the true way of Christ. So Christ the King Sunday uh, reminds us that as we, you know, next Sunday's Advent when we talk about, you know, the Prince of Peace. But it reminds us that True peace is only found, true joy, true love is only found when Jesus Christ is, is the king of our life. Now listen, I have to uh, confess something. I have celebrated Christ the King Sunday very few times. I see Haley here. Uh, she probably rarely heard me talk about Christ the King Sunday because I like Thanksgiving Sunday. You know, and you know, I, I love to do all that. But maybe that was a mistake. Um, Maybe not, but, but maybe. But I do know this. The world today desperately needs to know of the peace and the joy 
and the love that can only be found in Christ. And it's only going to happen when they see it in you and me. That's the only way it's going to happen. Uh, I have a friend. Many of you know him, Billy Steele. He is a retired uh, pastor. He lives in Denver now. And Billy uh, was um, volunteering in a food bank uh, about two weeks ago. And uh, he was volunteering. He was just talking to the guy he's working with. And they got talking. And the guy said, so what do, you, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm a retired pastor. And the guy went, oh, really? Huh. Billy said, what do you mean, huh? And he said, well, I mean, pastor, that means like you're a Christian, right? He said, well, yeah. He said, I'm just surprised. You're, you're such a nice, kind, caring person. Surprised to see that in a Christian. That's ouch, isn't it? Um, and you can watch uh, on Netflix, Last Tango in Halifax, that, that show. It's pretty cool, uh, about a British couple. There's one episode in Last Tango in Halifax that just stunned me. Uh, the couple, it's a little, little older British couple, and they're eating in a cafe. And there's these other people in there who are extremely loud and rude. And, you know, and the husband said, I wonder what, what's the deal with them? And the wife said, I, I don't know. They're certainly rude. I guess they must be Christians. I went, oh, my goodness. You know, we, we can attribute that to, to media and what's being taught in the academy and a lot of things. But David Watson, who is one of a leading Methodist theologian who I greatly respect today, said this recently. He said, the American church has two black eyes today, and it's nobody's fault but our own. And sadly, I, I think that's true. Tragically, tragically, many people see Christians as being unkind and mean. Now, I know that's not true. And you know that's not true universally. Because some of the kindest, most wonderful people I've ever known in my life have been Christians and church people. But it is a growing perception. And, you know, we can easily say, well, that's in Colorado or that's somewhere else. But Corey will appreciate this. I was a youth pastor for a long time. And one of the things I learned about being a youth pastor in the Deep South is everything happens somewhere else five years before it gets here, and there's already been a book written about it. And it can be very helpful. <laughs> but y'all, what that says is this. What might be in Denver today, it's going to be an attitude in Madison, Mississippi, more than likely in five years, unless we are the light of Christ. Steve, by the way, you have a wonderful staff at this church. I have so friends with so many and have known and respected them for so long. Uh, he read the passage uh, about the Beatitudes today. You know, the, the blesseds. You know, one of the first passages we learn in Sunday school. I don't think it's any accident that Jesus said, you're the salt, you know, you're the salt of the, how do you say that? Salt of the earth. And the, the, the light of the world. I don't think it's any accident that he said that right after the Beatitudes. Now, I think he said it right after the Beatitudes for one reason. The way we're going to be salt 
And the way we're going to be light is by doing the things that Jesus talked about in the Beatitudes. So today I want us to fairly quickly, but in a very clear way, go through the Beatitudes. Um, it's said that every time a preacher preaches a sermon, there are three sermons that are preached. The one he writes, the one he preaches, and the one the people hear. I guess that'd make a lot of different sermons, huh? But I also heard something this week, too. Anytime a pastor stands up to preach, our job, that's you guys, is to pray for me. And your other job is to pray for yourself. That we'll hear what God has to say to us. So let's say a little prayer. Dear Jesus, I pray that the words I speak can say a good word for Jesus. And that it would be what you want us to hear. And Lord, as we hear, even as I hear what I say, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Amen. Okay, the Beatitudes. Let's jump right in. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of God is theirs. Well, first we have to ask, what in the world does blessed mean? Well, it... Um, it, it means more than mundane happiness. You know what happiness is? Happiness is based on what happens to us, right? And if I stump my toe, I'm not going to be happy about it. If I have a bad day, I'm not going to be happy about it. I remember when our kids were growing up, we had three just boom, 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 and we'd be getting them ready for church. And as soon as you would get two ready, the third, and getting, working on the third, the first one would spill chocolate milk all over them. And you have to start all over two or three times. We were never happy about that. Sometimes we got to church and we were extremely unhappy. But we had a joy. We had a joy. And that's what, uh, what blessed means. You know, it, it doesn't mean that we've got it right now. But it means it's coming. It's a deep inner joy now blessed are the poor we always heard that as blessed are the poor in spirit and I'll get to that in a minute but, but, but really it says blessed are the poor now it is not easy being poor you know sometimes we'll say oh I'm poor because it's tight at the end of the month but y'all none of us are poor okay you know I've spent time in Haiti and that's poor it's not easy to be poor. And yet Jesus says, blessed are the poor. So one thing that's also true, if you're poor, you are almost always poor in spirit. Okay, does that make sense? If you're poor, you're almost always going to be poor in spirit. But what does that mean? It's more than being downcast. Oh, you know, it's a bad day. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's more than that. It means that we understand that we have no other recourse than God. Now hear that again. When we're poor in spirit, it means that we understand that we have no other recourse in life than God. And we realize that we are completely reliant on God for everything. And that if we are completely dependent on God, hear this, he will come to us. Now, when Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he didn't just mean heaven when we died. I mean, he's talking about that too. But remember what Jesus said when he was 
walking this earth. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has come. That means we can have joy, true joy, when we're completely relying on God and understand our complete reliance on God in this world, in this world, as well as the world to come. So what's that mean we should do? Okay, so great. You know, now I've given you a wonderful little Sunday school lesson on what that means. What's that mean we should do? How do we become the salt and the light when we hear that? Y'all, it means we help the poor. Simple as that. Y'all, it's clear all through the Bible. We're to always seek ways to help the poor. And I know that can get complicated because I've done it a lot. It can get real complicated. But it's vital. It's vital. And then we're called to be poor in spirit, to acknowledge that God is our only real hope. But you know what? When we understand that God is our only real hope, generosity will follow. It is so easy to put our hope and our joy in life and our money and our things and our accomplishments and the friends we have and our health and, and all these things that, you know, make us get this happy but unless we understand, as St. Paul said, unless we really regard all those things as garbage in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, we will never find lasting peace and happiness. Now hear that again. Unless we understand that, we will never, ever find lasting peace and happiness and joy because we will inevitably, yeah, I'm old, I'm learning stuff. You know, I've got time to reflect and ponder on things now. Unless we understand that, we will inevitably end up making an idol out of our achievements, out of our stuff, and all those things that we hang on to so dearly. So how do we let our light shine? We seek first the kingdom of God, and we help the poor. We help the poor. And we have the spirit of the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Okay. For they will be comforted. It is pretty odd to say you are blessed if you are mourning. I mean, that is just a pretty strange thing to say. Because if you're hurting and you're grieving and you're mourning, by definition, you are not happy. Right? But Jesus said, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. I mean, nobody desires to mourn. Nobody desires to hurt. And when, when we are, it seems like God is extremely slow to act, doesn't it? Like, God, what has taken you so long? But it says we will be blessed. You know, it means God will bring that deep inner joy. Not saying we have it right now, but he'll bring it. So what do we do? How do, how do blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. So what does that mean we're supposed to do? I mean, y'all, you and I, as followers of Jesus, we're called to comfort people who mourn. I mean, that's what God calls us to do. To be salt and light 
in their life. You know, most of us feel badly for others when they mourn. Oh, I'm so sorry. Gee, that's bad. But we kind of let it stop there. But we've got to do more than that. Now, usually the reason we let it stop there is, y'all, we're just overwhelmed. We may be overwhelmed with time constraints, but usually it's because we don't know what to do, right? I mean, we haven't been trained in whatever it is you're supposed to do when that happens. We just don't know what to do. And so we might walk up to them, pat them on the back one time and say, I'm so sorry, Bob. But then we go about our life. But y'all, when you mourn it, it, it takes a while to get over it. Let me give you some examples of things that people mourn. Of course, people mourn death. People mourn divorce. People mourn a job loss. People mourn sickness. People mourn when a disaster happens. People mourn when their kids are struggling. And we're called to comfort them. Well, how do we comfort them? Yeah, we just go be with them. Okay? Just be with them. Ask them out for coffee. Have a conversation with them. Send them a card. Go be with them. Comfort them. And not just one time. You know, uh, we in the church, we are one thing we are good at is taking food to people when somebody dies. I mean, when somebody dies, y'all, I'm, I'm a retired pastor, and being retired just by virtue of age and the churches I've been in, y'all, I have done a lot of funerals, okay? Which means I have eaten a lot of fried chicken. Um, you know what Louis Grizzard said one time? He said, um, in the South, we have this lovely tradition. Somebody dies, and we all get together and eat fried chicken. Um, you know, and somehow that comforts. I don't know what it is, but but you know what? It's not. Let me tell you something. It's not the food that comforts. I mean, food's nice. Food's nice. Fellowship is what comforts. People being there. That's what comforts. And remember, it's not. I mean, we're, we got we got the meals after funerals down. But there's more. It's all those other things. You know, when you have a friend whose child's hurting, just, just go have coffee with them. You know, you don't have to have all the answers. They don't expect all the answers. They just want somebody they can talk to. They just want somebody to be with them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. You want to be the light of Christ in the world? Go comfort people. Go comfort people. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Now, the King James says, blessed are the meek. You know, and that's kind of what we have kind of grown up on, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But nobody knows what meek is anymore. You know, it's like, what in the world? And then we go into big, big definitions of meek. Um, it doesn't mean being submissive. It doesn't mean being mild. It doesn't mean being unassertive. Really what it means is someone who's been humbled. Someone who's been humbled. You know, the older I get, the more I realize how little I know. And the old Bob Dylan song, I was so much younger then, I'm 
I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. You know, I don't know as much as I thought I used to know. When I was younger, I was, I want to tell you, I had some answers. I had answers for just about everything because I've been in school a long time and I've learned a lot of stuff. And I, it's not that I don't have an answer, but sometimes people just need you to listen. You know, and listening doesn't mean we're going to change our mind about what we think. But it does mean we take the time to listen to somebody else. It does mean we bother to become a part of their world and what they're thinking. And listening shows another person that you care about them. You know, I've known very few people who've come to follow Jesus because of an argument. Personally, I've never known anybody who's come to follow Jesus because of an argument. Um, but I've known a lot of people who come to know the Lord because of people bothered to love them. Funny thing is, a lot of times they change their mind about stuff when we love them. Isn't that interesting? People follow because they see that we care and that we love them. You want to change the world? You want to be the light of Christ, the salt of the earth? Think about other people. Don't always argue with them, but listen. Be a light. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who've been humbled. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Have you ever noticed how good it makes you feel to help somebody else? Have you ever, like, helped at a food pantry or maybe worked on a house restoration or a habitat house or gone on a mission trip and you came home saying, you know, I think I got more out of it than the people we went to hell. Any of you ever do that? I mean, it happens universally. That's, that's, that's it's pretty well the way it is. Uh, when I was pastoring McGee, Mississippi, I've been there, there was this little old lady, African-American lady, who had just about raised every child in McGee, Mississippi. Her name was Miss Bessie. Great name, isn't it? Well, Miss Bessie had gotten old and infirm, and she needed uh, a handicapped bathroom because she couldn't get in out of her bathtub. And so, um, part of a sermon series, interestingly enough, I decided we were going to restore someone's house. I was talking about justification, making stuff right. And so we decided we were going to make Miss Bessie's house right. You know, it was, I was astounded at the number of people who showed up to help put a new bathroom with a handicapped shower in Miss Bessie's house. People who hadn't been to church in years and years and years showed up. And some of them later started coming all the time and made a commitment to Christ in their life through that. The primary meaning is a strong desire to work to help the downtrodden and oppressed. King James says hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that it does mean personal righteousness. Don't, don't get me wrong. But the mystery is this. When we help the downtrodden, it draws us to God. And our personal devotion to Christ almost always increases. Do you want your light to shine? If you want your light to shine as a believer, work for justice. Help the downtrodden. Help the needy. And yes, sometimes we, it, it takes time. We have to figure out a way and carve out something in our life to help us do that. But do it. 
God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Okay, I'm going to get you to raise your hands. How many of y'all have ever made a big mistake or done something absolutely foolish in your life? Raise your hand. I think every hand should go up because everybody has. Now, when you do that and you've made this huge faux pas, do you want somebody to be merciful to you? Well, I do. I had a person in the church one time who was always just giving me, I mean, let's put it this way. If I, made the, if I left a comma out of something in the bulletin, they were all over me. Never gave me one break about anything. And it was, it wasn't easy. But one day, she made this giant mistake. I mean, it was huge. And everybody knew it. And I'm not going to say what it is because it's almost one of those gaspers. Um, and so I was in a meeting with him. She had to acknowledge it. And I just said, well, you know, everybody has a bad day. She was dumbfounded. Because I never got the slightest break. And she'd made this huge mistake. And I just, I showed mercy. Everybody has a bad day. I have a little line in life that goes like this. Everybody loves mercy until we're the ones who are called upon to dispense it. You know what? You want to be the light of the world? Dispense mercy. Dispense it at home. Dispense it with your family. Dispense it at work. Dispense it with neighbors. Dispense mercy with people that you know. When they mess up, and everybody does, show mercy, people. If you do, you are going to be the light of Christ. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. This is about motives. It's tempting to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. To do things to impress people, to look good for ourselves, to to say, yay me, little glory to God, a lot of glory to me. You know, all those kinds of things. Y'all, people know our motives. You know how it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, even if I give everything I have to the poor, and give my body to be burned. If I don't have love, it does not mean one single thing. It means nothing. You know, our motives. Let our motives be pure. You want to be the light of the world. You want Christ to shine in you. Act out of a pure heart. Because you know what other people know. Other people know when our motives are right. And when our motives are pure. <laughs> they can tell. Let's have pure motives, a pure heart. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. Jesus' world is a world of conflict. You had the Romans, and you had the zealots who were the Jewish revolutionaries who wanted to overthrow Rome. You had the scribes and the Pharisees who had huge theological disagreements. You know, you had Herod who was trying to do all the rule all the Jewish people, and then you had Pilate who was trying to do his thing for Rome. You, you had the Jews and the Samaritans, and that just scratches the surface. There was a ton of conflict. You know, we think the Bible, oh, everybody's just walking around chasing butterflies. Uh, no, they weren't. It was a very, very conflicted time. And so what did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. Pray for your enemies. Oh, how our world is peacemakers today. Everybody's arguing about everything. 
Everybody's got to win their argument. Uh, you know, remember Bob Newhart, the comedian? He did this little comedy skit one time. It was, it was really funny. Kind of not funny, but funny. He was uh, a psychiatrist named Dr. Switzer. And so the, the stick went like this. You know, uh, people would come to him with these horrific problems. I mean, this just really bad stuff. And they'd say, so what do you think about that, Dr. Switzer? He'd say, stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> That's horrible advice for a counselor or a psychiatrist. But you know what? Sometimes when I'm so tempted to get in an argument with somebody to win my point of view or whatever, I have to remember, blessed are the peacemakers. And instead of arguing, I just listen to Dr. Switzer. Stop it, Tommy. Just stop it. Show some love, people. Let's be a peacemaker. Our world so needs peacemakers today. But interesting what he said. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Christians have always been known as being peacemakers. Let light, the light of Christ shine in you. Now listen to how it ends. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Y'all, Jesus clearly says this, that if we do all those things in the, that we just talked about in the Beatitudes, he's clearly saying you are going to be mocked and you're going to be made fun of and people are going to call you dumb, just to tell you the truth. So Jesus offers us words of encouragement. It says people are going to say evil things about you. I want to tell you, we can say, ah, oh, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, I was a pastor for a long time. I've been called names that you wouldn't call your worst enemy. And I can say well, that's dumb, but you know what? It hurts. I don't care... If it's silly, if somebody calls you the devil when you're their pastor, but it hurts, doesn't it, Sarah? Doesn't it, doesn't it, Cindy? It hurts. I, have a, I used to be a part of a ministry, uh, actually kind of been associated with it for over 30 years, called Service Over Self in Memphis. It's a ministry that took a zip code in Memphis, the poorest zip code, and decided to commit years and years to rebuilding homes in, in, that, um, in that neighborhood. Actually, I took the very first group that ever went. <clears throat> uh, this, some 30 years later, it's completely transformed that neighborhood. It's just amazing. But... Um, when I first started going, there was a dad, I was a youth pastor, a dad, uh, kids in my youth group, who used to take off a week of vacation and go, uh, go help with, with SOS, service over self. And I remember one year he got home and he said, Tommy, people at work have just given me the hardest time. I said, what do you mean, man? He said, they're calling me a do-gooder. You think you're going to change the world doing this? And then the most hard of things to call any southerner, you're just a bleeding heart liberal, you know. Um, <clears throat> and my friend Marvin said, you know, 
all I'm trying to do is love people for Jesus and give my kids a good example. Y'all, if you do this stuff, somebody's going to mock you. Somebody's going to say you're crazy. And Jesus said, well, be happy about it. Jesus said, be happy. Kind of interesting. That's the word he used. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. People, do you want to be a light for Christ? Do you want the light of Christ to shine in you? Then help the poor. Comfort people who mourn. Be humble. Help the downtrodden. Show mercy. Have a pure heart. And work for peace. Now if you do that, somebody might see you. And they'll say, I wonder why it is that they're acting like that. And a friend will respond, I don't know. I think they must be a Christian. Amen.